morning, everyone. Could you please stand with us? so far.
back together And every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Oh, there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you Lord, there's nothing yes, nothing is better than you I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend, because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing that's better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Yes, nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing that's better than you. There's nothing.
Good morning, Northside. Look a little different this morning. I'm not Pastor Aaron, for those of you that don't know. He's preaching in Ecuador, I'm assuming as we speak. Uh, So pray for him. Um, But for those that are new, we're glad to have you with us. Um, Usually this time, Pastor Aaron would say, please take a moment and greet everyone around you. All right, folks, let's grab our seats. Let's continue to praise our great God as we prepare. I'll read some scripture and prepare our hearts as we carry on with praise and song. Let me read from Psalm 23, and I'll open in a word of prayer. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as your people, Lord, our hearts would be inclined to worship you in song even now. And even as we come under the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you would use um, imperfect instruments such as myself uh, to strike straight through your word. Even now as we sing these hymns, Lord, that, Lord, you would truly guide us, that, Lord, we would truly know you as Savior and as Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Remind me, I think, Children's Church, if you have kids, please, parents, escort them. Uh, for those of you that aren't children going to Children's Church, please turn with me in the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> find this providential today. I taught Sunday school. I taught on the parable of the Good Samaritan. That is not what I'm going to be preaching on. Um, That is the first parable when Pastor Aaron asked me to preach. That's the first one I said I could go and he said, no, no, no. Dave Mazden preached on that a while ago. Let's leave that alone. This is not a usual parable that you go to or what you think about when it comes to the parables of Jesus, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. But let me back up a bit. One of the things that deeply distressing about the church is the existence of jealousy or envy or competitiveness within. Um, and for those of you that think there are none of those, um, might not have been in the church too long. There's uh, a frequency 
the expression of rivalry that causes those in the church to be driven by ambition to achieve something that someone else doesn't have. A bigger church, a better preacher, better student ministry, or whatever. And sometimes, even in the church service that people come to like this, they go away determined that the church that they want to be part of, or are part of, can be bigger, better. But some go away thinking that they're discouraged because of the church they're in. Why isn't my church like this or like that? Those thoughts are often unhelpful, discouraging. Our assessment of ourselves as a church, as a Christian, is not, we're, we're not the, the assessor of that, of how we work as Christians, our services to God. God is the final assessor of who we are as Christians, who we are as believers. We do not make that final assessment. So we read, if you turn with me, let's stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Please be seated. One of the things that Jesus had to deal with his disciples, believe it or not, was competitiveness. The disciples, if you read through the Gospels, often wrangled among themselves who would be receiving the most honor, who would get the greatest accolades as disciples of Jesus. Which of them would be given the greatest position in the kingdom? In their minds, they had made the supreme sacrifice, having abandoned their families, abandoned their livelihood, their careers, to follow Jesus in this traveling ministry, which was sustained by charity. I mean, Peter and his brother were fishermen. They were lucrative in the business that they had. They left all of that behind. 
And this ministry was sustained by love and charity of others. Having put themselves in a position to leave it all behind and be dependent upon the little amount that was given to them to follow someone who didn't have a place to stay. This seemed to them a great sacrifice. But in their minds, as you read through this, as you read uh, chapter 19 of Matthew, in their minds, the sacrifice was worth it because in the end, they assumed that there would be a major payoff. There would be something that they would be working for. And they were always among themselves squabbling about whose payoff would be biggest. So a little bit about the background about the parable. Um, in, in chapter 19, Jesus had just spoken with the rich young man. I mean, you can remember the story. Who asked him what he should do to have to, have to inherit eternal life. And the answer to that question astonished the disciples. They did, the disciples, they did what the rich young ruler was not willing to do. They had left all behind. Peter says that we left all that we have to follow you. The Lord responds that they will receive their reward and will have a great responsibility. However, Peter and the disciples should not have had that mindset. They should not think of themselves as more deserving than others. That's not having the mind of Christ. You should never have the thought that you are a cut above another or better than others. I mean, that's how this, uh, this, this section of chapter 20 ends. That's what Jesus says. The last will be first and the first last. And it is at this point that Jesus presents the parable. So, let's go into a little bit of background with this. I've never worked on a vineyard. I've never worked on a farm. I did cut an acre of grass the other day, and it felt like I'd worked a vineyard. But some of you may have worked on a vineyard, and you know how hard it is to work on a farm. The area of Judea was an agrarian society where agriculture is used for the primary source of sustenance. And part-time labor would help with the maintenance of the vineyard. Now, before I came to Northside, I worked a job where we would go to places where there would be labor-ready guys to help with whatever job we needed. And so that's, I understand that. And so this owner would go to the marketplace to get part-time workers to help the vineyard and be paid daily. The days in the Middle East would run from hour to hour, first hour, second hour, third hour, and the hours would, the first hour would be 6 a.m., third would be 9 a.m., the sixth would be 12 p.m., 9, 3 p.m., 11, 5 p.m. And the day's work would run from 6 to 6. So that's just to give you an idea of what he's working with. And so the owner of the vineyard went out to the marketplace early in the morning to get workers, to work the vineyard. And the climax of the parable is when the first part-time worker complains about what he receives for the work he had done. And looking at the parable with a glance, you will agree with that person. It worked longer, yet he received less. And you might think to yourself that that's unfair. Many unions around the country today would take this up and would speak for those unfairly treated. However, the parable's point is not to teach us about 
industrial policies, but to teach us about what it is to be a child of God in God's kingdom. It's not a passive activity. It is an active activity as a child of God. You are to work. This is what this parable is to do. What the conduct of a believer is to be. The complaint from the laborer is that the owner is being unfair in paying them the same amount of money. The master explains that they received exactly what he had promised them. And the grumblers were complaining that they had received the same as those that they had worked one hour of the day. The master explains that he did not wrong anybody. The problem is that they did not like his generosity. I mean, he would say, I am the employer who has the right to hire who I like for the rate we agree to, and I am fully justified with what happens. I will employ some for a day, having agreed to a day's wage, and I will employ another for a few hours for the same amount. I am fully justified to do that. If I choose to go beyond the certain rate for some, I am in my rights to do so. Why should you grumble? Why should you be bitter? Why should you be jealous because of my generosity? So why do you feel they were, they were unfairly treated? You see, they judged on a wrong standard. And oftentimes when we become believers, we bring our worldly views into it. And I'm not saying that having worldly logic is not a good idea. Not thinking logically through a decision is a bad idea. But oftentimes we bring our worldly ways of making decisions into the church. And that can often turn out very bad. You see, they judged according to not the generosity of the master. They judged according to their own standard. If you go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, the apostle Peter, he makes this claim. He says, then, then, then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. And then he makes this, he asks this question, what then will we have? He asks that question. What then will we have? Let me, let me coin it another way. What is in it for me? That's a different mentality. Jesus is telling us that you will never understand the kingdom of God if you think that God works in the same way as the world. In the same way as humanity. Man thinks that what I put in is what I will get out. And folks, generally, in this world, that's true. Most times, generally, if you work hard, you'll get a good wage. That is true. But that is not always the way it works in the church. That is not always the way God works. Men and women often serve because of what they can get out of it. It is not like that in the kingdom of God. People are standing in line asking what I will get out of being in service for God. In the kingdom of God, the center of attention is not about what we are getting out, but it is about God's generosity. So what are the lessons that I, again, there's so many things you can pick out. I've picked out three things that I want us to just plot in on. Number one, 
all who enter the kingdom come into it the same way. How is it that the workers came into the vineyard at 6 a.m., at, tw- at 9, at 12, at 3 p.m., at 5 p.m.? Well, the owner of the vineyard gave them a job in the vineyard, and he gave them a promise. All the workers came the same way into the vineyard with the master coming to them, and he gave them a promise. Everybody enters the kingdom of God that way. How? Well, the master calls, and those who hear obey the voice. The gospel proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, is Jesus calling his people. He is giving it through the Spirit in his word. And the instrument used to proclaim is a human voice. Sometimes it is imperfect, but the gospel message remains Jesus Christ. So the master comes through the preaching of the gospel. So usually preaching or teaching comes with two elements, a command and a promise. And that's what we see here in this parable. The master says in verse 4, basically I command you to go into the vineyard, so go. And then he says, if you do then, I will do what is right by you. The gospel, when it is proclaimed, brings about the command. He tells you to repent. To repent. Repent is to turn from your sinful ways. Basically, you are going in one direction, and Jesus says, repent. And your focus and ambition and embrace from there is turned, and turned towards Jesus Christ. That's repentance. And it says to go, embrace Jesus, embrace his church, follow him, leave the life you are living and go into the kingdom to repent and grieve as a person you are, leave who you are and go to Jesus, to have faith in him, to rely upon him, not just when you first become a Christian, but throughout your life as a believer. To come to him, listen to this, To come to him, not just the master of the vineyard, to come to him who died for you, who died for your sins. So we are commanded to repent and believe in the gospel. So the master comes with a command, but he also comes with a promise. What is the promise of the gospel? Forgiveness of sins. Amen. Pardon of sin. Love. Unconditional love. No matter what it is, how ashamed you are of the sin and the life you've lived, he has come to die for you. And that love is so precious, so wonderful, so beautiful. No matter how strong-willed you are, that love will melt that heart of stone. Another promise is eternal life. We're not promised a life where we will stay here. We're promised a life where we will be with Him, where He is. All who come into the kingdom come into it the same way, but all do not come at the same time. During 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., there were different times that the workers came in. So people came into the kingdom, who come to the kingdom of God, some of them come very young. I don't know how many of you were converted or made a profession of faith at a young age. Some, like John the Baptist, were filled with the Spirit from within his mother's womb. Some, like Samuel, was very young when God called him. Some sitting in the congregation right now speak of conversion at the age of four, at the age of six. Spurgeon, we heard last week, at the age of 15 was converted. 
The Apostle Paul was converted in and around the age of 35, 40. And there are some, there are some that you may have known were 11th hour believers, like the thief on the cross, who Jesus told, this day you will be with me in paradise. Is a Scottish preacher called Thomas Guthrie. And he tells a story that one night he was coming home from a meeting and the air was so densely fogged out. And as the man he was, he prayed to the Lord to direct the horse wherever the horse would go. And he came to a house and he knocked on the door and asked if he would be allowed to sit at the fire until morning. The man said, of course, come in. But in the next room, there was a woman who was dying. Out of her room, after a little while, came a Roman Catholic priest. And when he had left, Thomas Guthrie went into the room and asked the woman this question. And asked her if she had found peace with God through the Roman Catholic priest. She said no. She said no. And from that point onward, he told her about the gospel. Told her about the wonder of Jesus who came to die for sinners. And and through him, we will have peace with God. He proclaimed the gospel that night. While speaking to her, she believed. She was converted. And she died. When he got home the day after, he explained to his wife that he had witnessed an extraordinary thing. He went into a house and saw a woman in a state of nature, saw her in a state of grace, and left her in a state of glory. Some people are converted at a young age, and some at an old age, like the 11th hour. All who come into the kingdom come into it the same way, but not all at the same time. But secondly, all who come into the kingdom receive the same order. And like I said from the beginning, that order is to work. Growing up, my dad never let me forget that. God has given each of us abilities, and each of that ability is for us to work, no matter how young you are, no matter how capable you are, you are very much capable of working. Vineyards are often built on hills. Usually, some terraces are needed to be built to help the vineyards. There is soil that needs to be tilled, cultivated year-round. Each branch must be cut, trimmed, pruned throughout the year. There is the chasing away of birds that eat the young grapes. Any other hindrances, there is the picking of grapes and the carrying of the grapes. And there is the pressing, the fermentation. Then we have bookkeeping to organize that the vineyard is properly administered. And the list goes on and on. It is a continual life of labor. It is precisely that picture that the Lord paints for the kingdom of God. As the life of work. Not work for salvation. No. Christ has accomplished that on the cross. Amen? But through the work of Christ, you are able to bear forth fruit. Fruit. Work. For His glory. It is precisely that picture the Lord paints. There's so much to do in the vineyard. So I want us to, I want us to take that picture and I want us to just think about it in, 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 with regards to our church, with regards to today, service. The building doesn't just drop out of the sky ready for the service. 
does it? People have to sacrifice. People have to spend and plan to buy and keep the church facilities going. That is work. This church has been around for under 30 years. And who would be able to calculate the sacrificial hours and money spent to have bought, to have built, and maintained? It took, it took sacrificial effort. All that is to be done before the service starts. And then we need people to welcome at the door. We need Bibles. Someone has to budget for the Bible. Someone has to give money for purchasing Bibles. We sing praises to God. We have computers at the back with slideshows. Men volunteering to do that. Someone has to buy that computer, projector. Someone is needed to lead the service. Someone has to preach. And then all of us need to be praying. There is work that needs to be done to, for the building up, for the edification of the church. Then there is hospitality and sermon messages. Now again, believe it or not, some people still listen to sermons on CDs or on tapes. Some people haven't become as sophisticated as downloading it off of the internet. Then we have books to make available. People write books so that Christians can grow. The church needs to evangelize, door-to-door evangelizing, throughout the community, throughout the county, throughout the country, to Ecuador. We need Christians who will take a definite responsibility in their communities. Being CEOs, principals, congressmen, counselors, apologists who will show others that Christianity is reasonable. We need to be salt and light in our community. Because that's what God has called us to do. So that the gospel will run through every fiber of the community. We need people who will be Christian foster parents. We need Christians who will take care of the sick, go visit those who are ill. We need people who will pay for the hungry to be fed. We need reforms in law, education, childcare, prisons. We need scientists who will stand up for the truth that this is God's universe. All that is only the start of the list. All who come into the kingdom receive the same orders to work, but all do not receive the same order. The owner went out to the marketplace to get more workers for more jobs, for different jobs. Do you think that all the workers are in the same place? No. We all have the same order, the same order to work, but we all do not have the same work. Certain jobs can only be done from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Who's going to do the work? What job can you do? What challenge can you face for the Lord? All who come into the kingdom receive the same order to do work, but all do not receive the same order. Lastly, all who come into the kingdom will receive exactly what the Master has promised. Exactly what the Master has promised. Time is running out because a time will come when our service for the Lord will have ended. And don't think that I'm just talking to the seniors today. Do not take for granted the time God has given you to serve. Your time is not just a time of service when you have got everything streamlined and sorted for you to serve. Time is of the essence. What will we receive? 
we will receive exactly what he has promised. Has he promised you eternal life? Then you will receive it. Has he promised you a resurrection body? Then you will have it. Every promise to the gospel will be brought about true and all will receive exactly what has been promised. But, but, all will not receive what they have promised themselves. In the parable, you have those that came early in the morning to work. And when it was time for pay time, they started grumbling at the owner that they had been given exactly what everyone else had been given because they thought that they would receive more. Perhaps it will be more. You see, you will have exactly what the Savior has promised you, not what you promised yourself. Now, what do I mean? I could spend a lot of time on this. But some have been Christians since they were young. And the question is, what has kept you going? What has kept your service to the Lord going? Is it knowing that you have made a great sacrifice for the kingdom of God? Is that what keeps you going? Is it knowing that the day of judgment will come and we will be given as was promised? Or is it that God is gracious and I should thank God for his generosity to me every day? The theme of the gospel, as I close, is not how much you deserve or how much you got. The gospel theme is about the generosity and grace and goodness of God, even to the most undeserving. For those that are 11th hour Christians, like the thief on the cross, they think, I mean, what do I have to offer? I, I, I just got in. I haven't been here as long as these men and women have been along. I don't want you to one second think that you are a second-rate Christian. You are not to think that you are in a different league compared to those that are older Christians. Heaven will be just as full of joy for the 6 a.m. believer as it is for the 11th hour believer. You see, it is a terrible thing to think, what is in it for me as a Christian? This is a sin. God help us with that. And don't think for one second you don't think that way, because in some way you do. I do. And when that creeps in, repent, turn. Embrace him. It is a wonderful thing to see the vineyard flourish. Don't find your joy in asking, like Peter, what is in it for me? But find your joy in this. You were lost, and the master came and called you to go into the vineyard. Do not look upon new believers as competitors but look at them as brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a wonderful thing to see the kingdom of God flourishing, to see when new workers overtake you in service. So don't think of this as a competition that I need to, every time they move left, I need to move left. Let them come alongside of you. Learn from those that have come before you. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Let them help you. You help them. 
praise God when people overtake you in service for God. And they might be right with you in the room and you just don't know it. God is good, generous, and wise. Do not cling to the mindset that what is in it for me. That is a worldly mindset. Repent of that sin. See, the proof that you are in the kingdom is that you think like Christ. You have the mind of Christ. That causes you to go. That causes you to do His, his works. To, causes you to repent of your sins. The thing that makes you understand that you are a child of God is that you do not care if you are rewarded. But just as long as you know that you are there. And the only thing that you can see at that point is that God is a generous God, gracious God, loving God. That is why you're there. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you that you called us to come to you. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our sins, in our transgressions, Lord. You called us to come to you. And we pray, Lord, as we praise your name through song, as we serve together in your church in various ways, whether it is as teachers, whether it is as Uh, workers as servants throughout, Lord, I pray that your name would be honored. So glorify your name as as your church doesn't just stay here in this building, but goes out throughout the week, Lord, proclaiming the good news. And I pray that those that felt that they're still on the outskirts of workers, Lord, I pray that you would bring them in, Lord, that you would provide, that you would provide opportunities for them to learn. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please stand and sing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. And sing like never before. O oh my soul. I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul and worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul i worship your holy name you're rich in love and you're slow to anger 
Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, and worship His holy name, and sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, and sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul. Worship His holy name and sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. Yes, I worship Your holy name. Lord, I worship your holy name. Amen. Before our Deacon of the Week comes to close us in a word of prayer, just a reminder tonight's Ice Cream Social at 6 p.m. Um, for those of you resourceful ice cream maker people, uh, please bring them. Apparently the champions won't be there tonight, uh, so you all have a shot. Um, hey, I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, just a reminder, seniors, um, we'll have a covered dish luncheon on Thursday, 28th. There's a sign-up sheet at the back. Please sign up so that people know the numbers and can cater for it appropriately. Uh, if you have any questions, speak to Glenn DeStedham. Um as well as, in your bulletin you would have seen deacons. So below is a list of all the active, eligible men, willing and able men in our church. Now for those of you that don't see your name and were willing to um, have your names put forward for deacons, please call the church. Um, if for some reason we didn't hear from you, um, we apologize. But call the church office, call Kim, and we'll be able to put that in um, for next week. But um, we'll be holding two voting sessions, August 7th and August 14th. 
So, do you have any questions? Please see Trip or Pastor Aaron for that. Now, if I've forgotten anything, I'm very sorry. But Bill, this goes up in prayer. Oh, yes, yes, a word. Yes, I knew it. It's the last thing Chris told me. Before the ice cream social is an Upward informational meeting. So if all of you either involved in Upward or interested in Upward or wanting to know what in the world I mean by Upward, please join in Chris Sonoy's In the Sanctuary. Right, we spoke about that yesterday. I forget. Um, yeah, get there. Wow, so much I forgot. Um, so meet in the sanctuary at five um, if you're interested in Upward. And just the church picnic is July 31st. Uh, church will provide barbecue. Sign up outside. I think we got it. <laughs> Please pray for us. All right, let's bow our heads together. Thank you, dear Lord, for this good day. Thank you, dear Lord, for your good word to us. Dear Father, that you are faithful through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even though we may not be faithful at all times, you are faithful always. Thank you for your promises that we can stand on. Thank you for the visitors that you brought into your house today, for the burdens that we brought, dear Lord, that you lifted them. Dear Lord, for the joy that you've given us today in your word. Go with us as we go out, dear God, but help us to remember uh, our work for you. Uh, May you prosper it according to your good pleasure. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.